Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bible in Luke chapter 3. And I have something on my heart to just share, and uh, I, I believe it'll be a help. Called a wilderness wisdom or wisdom from the wilderness. How many people ever flunked a test? That's a shocker, isn't it, when you flunk a test? I remember my first year at university, my first maths test. I got four. I couldn't believe it. Four. It wasn't quite so bad because I got four out of 50, which meant I did a quick sum and turned that into eight out of 100. So in a moment, I had 8%. I'm thinking, dear Lord, I've come here to try and get me a graduate, and I've got four, four marks out of 50. It was dreadful. But uh, it wasn't the end. I graduated and majored in maths. So a flunk doesn't mean the end. And particularly flunking a test in God doesn't mean the end. I like it about God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, though he fall, he shall never be utterly cast down by God because the Lord will lift him up and get him up again. That's what the Word of God says. He's got to believe it. Don't lie down there. Huh? Don't lie down and stay down. And uh, I want us just to read just a few verses. I'm going to read two. I'm going to, you know, I have a sandwich, you know, I've got the bread of the sandwich, and there's a bit of meat in the sandwich. We're just going to look at the bits of bread, first of all, because we like the carbohydrate. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we're looking at Luke chapter 3. When all the people, verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus also was baptized. He submitted to the move of God that was in his generation in preparation to bringing in a fresh move. And then it says, while he prayed, heaven was opened. Oh, that's good. And the Holy Ghost came on him in a bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. What a wonderful encounter and experience. An open heaven, anointing of the Holy Ghost, God speaking verbally from heaven in a way that could be heard by everyone. That has got to be a great experience. Okay, here's another good one. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Ghost to Galilee, and news of him went out everywhere, mainly because of all the miracles he did. Now, don't you just love that? He had this fantastic encounter with Almighty God, the Spirit of God come on him. What a great meeting that was. Presence of God came on him, and then we see him with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, most Christians like those two verses. They like that part. But there's a little bit in the middle, which is actually quite significant and important. And it goes like this in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, after he had experienced the Holy Ghost and had this great encounter, and re he returned from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Well, many people know about the acts of God. So we like meetings where there's miracles and great things happen, feel inspired and stirred. Not so many people learn the ways of God. And unless you learn the ways of God, you will become frustrated in your Christian life because you'll be always reaching out for something that others seem to have, but it always seems beyond you. You're reaching to get something that seems available and seems promised, but doesn't seem to come to you. It seems to come to others. And there's this little thing in here which is really the meat in the sandwich. Because between Jesus' experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost and actually having manifestation of power, there was this period called a wilderness experience. And I want to talk about that because 
And some of us are going through that wilderness experience now. It's important you understand what its purpose is. Otherwise, you get overwhelmed in it, discouraged. The Bible tells us that of the people of Israel, the majority of them, God was not really pleased with them. Did he love them? He loved them. Did he save them? He saved them. Did he get the Holy Ghost on them? He got the Holy Ghost on them. Did he do miracles for them? He did miracles for them. But he was not well pleased with them, it says in 1 Corinthians 10. It takes faith to please God. Why, were they, why was God not so pleased with them? Because they were overthrown in the wilderness. When a period which God designed for their benefit came into their life, instead of responding in a godly way and understanding what God wanted to do, they fought, wrestled, and eventually fell and failed in that wilderness experience. Jesus had a wilderness experience. It must be important. It can't be just an Old Testament thing. 1 Corinthians 10 says, it's a warning, a learning exercise. It's something for us to learn from. And it says, make sure you don't make the same mess-ups that they made. Two billion people died so you could learn an expensive lesson. So it's quite good to read and learn the lesson, isn't it, eh? So the thing is that tests always come in the kingdom. Now, in the, in the, when I went to university, they had a test, but you always knew it was coming up. You could prepare for your test, and you swatted up, and then you went into a room, and then it was basically how much you'd learned. And uh, they did the test. They posted the marks the next day. So you knew about when it was coming and what it was about, and you knew how to get ready. But the tests with God don't work like that. What a shame. When God brings tests around our life, he doesn't advertise they're coming. They come when you don't expect them. You're probably in the middle of one right now. And uh, when they come, they are not about head knowledge. They're not about how much books you've read. They're not about how many sermons you listen to. They're not about how many iPod downloads you got. They're not anything about how much knowledge you may have. And that is a dilemma because for many of us, we have a lot of knowledge. We've sat and listened to lots of wonderful preaching. But it's actually about what experience you have. It's about what is built into your life in your walk with God. It is about the kind of person you really are on the inside. And in the initial phase of our Christian experience, often everything goes absolutely wonderful. It's like, we've, it's, man, we've got cake and we've got icing as well. It's just wonderful. We're having a glorious time in the next thing. You know, you're eating bread with no butter or nothing. And it seems like it's a different deal. What happened? Where did God go? And uh, we, we don't understand that God actually designs a path for us. You know, the Bible tells us that there is a scroll written with your destiny on it and how your life will unfold, what God has prepared for you, but you have to open the scroll little at a time. You've actually got to unwind it. Otherwise, it's not like a book. You read the end of the book like that. With the scroll, you've got to take it, unwind it bit by bit. And God prescribes for us. He knows exactly what we need. So we have a look at the purpose of the wilderness training or wilderness seasons in our life is essentially it's for preparation. It is preparation. If you are facing a season that you might call a wilderness season, I can assure you it is your time of preparation. It is a time God has set aside for you to be prepared for the things he's planned for your life. So it's important that you respond to God properly in the season of preparation. And, uh, you know, if we want to become great in anything, there's always a season of preparation. Most of us want to just get the dream and we're there now, but it never works that way. Nothing in life works that way. There's always preparation. 
No one is a great concert pianist. They had preparation. Everyone has preparation. And preparation's not nice. Our, I was with some men on a ship. I, they were uh, uh, musicians. I asked them, how long do you practice? They said, eight hours a day. I couldn't imagine sitting at a piano practicing eight hours a day. That's what they did. So, so people in the Bible, all through the Bible, you find any great man of God not only had encounters with God, which we all love, by the way, but they had wilderness experiences. We don't want to hear about those. But they are the way of God to get you from your encounter experience and your revelation into your destiny. So you have to go through preparation. And uh, so Moses had 40 years in the backside of a desert. Uh, Israel did 40 years in the wilderness. David had a season in the wilderness. Uh, Goliath faced the nation for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, why does Elijah suddenly turn out and turn the nation upside down? Where was he before that? In a wilderness in an experience that was preparing him. John the Baptist, where was John the Baptist found? He wasn't found in a church, he was found in a wilderness. And the Bible says the word of the Lord came to him in the wilderness. Everyone else had titles and positions. He got God's word speaking to him. Big difference. You know, whatever position you like, whatever title you like, it matters toot in the kingdom of heaven, really. What counts is whether you're hearing from God and flowing with what God wants you to do. And uh, so, so anyway, that, so, so, so God is a system of testing. It's helpful to know what, what that system is. It's called the wilderness. Now, have a look at it in Luke chapter 8, and I'll give you some, just a few simple lessons out of the, uh, sorry, not in Luke, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's always, always a place of preparation, and always God has something in mind for you. So let's have a read in here. We're going to look at it here, the Israel, then we'll look at it quickly with Jesus. Then I want to show you how to certainly flunk the wilderness. Keys to flunking quite good. I've learned the keys because I've done many of them, you know, at one point or another. But then God doesn't leave you down there. He lifts you up and then you can learn how to succeed. So to help, I'll give you some keys to succeed too. Here it is in Luke, in, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, and you shall remember, verse 2, the Lord your God led you this way these 40 years in the wilderness. Notice the word led you. God led you in the wilderness to humble you prove you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with man, allowed you to hunger. What kind of God is that? Oh my. Fed you with manna that your fathers, you didn't know or your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 16, he fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers didn't know or hadn't experienced, that he might humble you and test you. Now notice this, to do you good in the end. Ah, God's got a plan for good. So let me give you just a few simple things about the wilderness that may help. You notice the first thing is God led them there. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So God leads people into a wilderness. So there are experiences you have in life. It's not the devil, and it's not because you've stuffed up or messed up in a big way. It's God's leading you into a difficult season, that's all. Oh, why would God want to do a terrible thing like that? I just want it all to be sugar and nice and spice. Don't talk to me about crosses and things like that. I want blessing. I want anointing. Well, come on, get a life. Get real. See, the anointing comes after the cross. Cross gets you to heaven. Cross is a way of life. Cross is always a part of this deal. So the first thing to realize is God leads you into the wilderness. It's God's idea. It's God's idea to get you into a wilderness time. So a wilderness time. The wilderness experience is for preparation, not destination. 
wilderness experience is preparation, not destination. So whatever experience you may be going through now that you might like to call a wilderness, believe me, it is preparation, not destination. It's a place God wants you to move through, not stay there. Don't stay there. And definitely don't die there. <laughs> definitely don't die there. It's just, a, it's just a preparation for the destination God has for your life. And God has to prepare us. See, it's like children growing. You'd love to give them lots of things. They have to be prepared. So the wilderness is a place of humbling. Wilderness is a place of humbling. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves. Not many of us want to do that, really. And so God allows us a few experiences that bring a great humbling in our life. You may have been led into such an experience. You didn't want to go there. You just were following Jesus. Next thing you find, there you are. You're in a wilderness. And it's incredibly humbling. So what kinds of things, and notice, notice the thing about the humbling is you suffer lack. And he calls you to suffer lack. Now, he didn't leave them hungry. They still fed him. He said, no, he, said he, he, he tested them. He said, allow them to suffer lack. Allowed you to get hungry. Hunger is a good thing. If you hunger for the right things. So he allowed you to get hungry. So what, what kind of experiences? Now, now, this is what they include. Now, this is probably not an exhausting list. But this is exhaustive list. But this is a list of some things that you could call a wilderness experience. You might like to tick one or two of them. Pressure. Pressure. Tremendous pressure coming on your life. Could be financial pressure. Family pressure. Pressure of uh, ill health. Pressure of all kinds of things. Could be lack of some kind. You don't have enough. Lack of ability, lack of skill. Could be lack in some kind of area. You're running a ministry and you've got a lack of people. You know, you've got a lack of resources. Injustice is another wilderness experience. Nothing after you've been through what is perceived was an injustice. Because we just look at it through our eyes. So we say that's not fair. God says, I'm just trying to prepare you. It's not fair. Meaning I don't deserve this. Of course you don't, but God's preparing you. You have to learn how to handle injustice. How do you understand the cross, which is full of injustice? So an unjust experience can bring you to the cross where Jesus suffered great injustice, and you can understand how to deal with injustice. Most people just become angry when there's injustice. And they're not going to have an answer when they're angry. You have to have compassion. And so God has to take us through some experiences. When you've been through injustice, you can understand people who have suffered injustice. And instead of saying, oh, just get over it, you have compassion because you've worked through it yourself. Uh, misunderstanding is another wilderness experience. Moses thought they would understand the call of God on his life. I am called to deliver a nation, don't you know? No, they didn't know. And they didn't care. And they chased him out of town and put a reward on his head, and he ended up in the wilderness. What went wrong? I was so sure it was God for me to deliver the nation. How come I'm here looking after sheep? Misunderstanding. Most of us want to be understood by people. When you feel misunderstood, now don't you get upset. Welcome to your wilderness. You don't need to have people understand you. In fact, when you walk with God, people won't always understand you. And you've got to live with that. And how will you live with that? Or you have to experience it and learn how instead of that natural desire of wanting to be understood, but you, have to, you need to understand. I've got to explain. I gotta. No, you just need to lean on God and let God sort it out. Not an easy test, the one of misunderstanding. 
another one is opposition, where you have tremendous opposition, doesn't seem fair. Another one is apparent failure. Everything you've done seems to have fallen apart. And there it is, you look a mess. And it happens. And uh, probably the best way to describe a wilderness, if I want to use a word picture to describe a wilderness experience, it's a, it's a fruit tree in winter. Bare sticks. And look good. I like them in autumn when they've got the oh, beautiful leaves and fruit everywhere. It's wonderful. But there are times in our life when we look like we're a tree. There's no fruit, not even any leaves, and all you can see are the bare sticks. And we live in an area like that. But one thing I've noticed about that, it's always followed by spring with the budding, and I notice it's followed by fruit bearing again as well. So it looks a bit like that. So wilderness, that's a wilderness for you. Temptation is a wilderness experience. And what is there about a wilderness? Wilderness is a place where you feel alone. It's not you are alone, because God doesn't leave you. You just feel alone. You feel all on your own. God, where are you? If Hezekiah said God left him alone to test him, see what was in his heart. God didn't leave him. It's just God withdrew the manifest presence, and it didn't feel like God was there. God was there, just didn't feel like God was there. And in that didn't feel like God was there, then he had to make decisions what to do. Because when you feel God, well, it's great when you feel God. I mean, you're in church, you feel God. Man, whoa, whoa. Then you get out in the car park, someone unsets you, and suddenly you don't feel God anymore. And other things you feel, you know. And there you go. That's what happens. Welcome to life. So notice when temptation comes, doesn't feel like God's anywhere near. Feels like he's a long way off, and that temptation's real close. That's the nature of a wilderness experience. doesn't feel like God's so close. How many know those kind of experiences? And they're horrible. I hate them. Fortunately, I know that they prepare you. So no one likes a wilderness. But there are some wonderful things about the wilderness. It's a preparation, not a destination. It's a place of testing. And the word test means to prove the kind of quality character that you have. So it's an opportunity for, for God to put on display the kind of character, the kind of person you are, and the depth of your relationship with him. So interestingly, when Job was walking down the... Uh, notice that God spoke to the devil and said, you notice my mate Job, notice what a good kind of guy he is. And, and then God's pointing out and showing off his servant. And the devil says, oh, I tell you what, let me hit him a bit, and then you watch him complain. He said, okay, have a go. And he did, and Job never complained. And God said, you notice my servant down there? He's doing pretty good, isn't he? Eh? <laughs> well, well, you just let me smite him with balls. And you watch, he'll curse you. Okay. But you look at the end of Job, and you find the end of Job, he was doubly blessed. He came out with double portion anointing. Now, of course, everyone wants double portion anointing. I tell him, get away from me. I want it myself. There's a way to get it. You have to go through some experiences with God. People say, oh, lay hands. I want the anointing. I want the anointing. Eh, welcome to some wilderness time. Get alone with God and begin to find your way into God in the midst of difficulty, and you'll come out in the power of the Holy Ghost. People want the soft thing. Come up the front and look, and I believe in altar call, believe in laying hands and impartation, but my observation over years is most people lose it within a day. Why? Because they never played their part in the season of preparation. And there's important things to recognize in those seasons of preparation. So pressure reveals what's in our heart. Notice what God says. He, he brought you into the wilderness that he might know you. Does that mean God doesn't know you? Of course he knows you. In other words, he wants us to have an experience together where our heart is exposed. 
This is intimacy. The word know there is the word yada, meaning intimate love connection. So the wilderness is a time of intimate love connection with God. Huh? I thought you said it was a tough time. Well, it is kind of a tough time, but it's actually designed to get your heart out to the open where God can see it and you can see it particularly and a chance for you to become intimate with God. Because in the wilderness, God formed covenant marriage relationship with Israel. In the wilderness, God encountered them. In the wilderness, God helped them. In the wilderness, God provided for them. In fact, they never lacked in the wilderness at all. It was a place of encountering, experiencing God and deepening character and relationship with him. He said that I might know, said that he would know you what was in your heart and that you might know, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But he said you need to experience the reality that the life you're going to live on the world is a life of faith depending on God. And what we want is to have the smooth life and get all the blessings. God wants the faith life. And faith doesn't necessarily feel good. You don't feel any great anointing on you when you're going through a wilderness experience, but that doesn't mean God isn't there. You've got to hold on to His words. You've got to trust His character. And when you see what comes up in your heart in the wilderness time, you can be shocked. I've been through a few wilderness pressure in the wilderness reveals what's in our heart. And so sometimes in the wilderness, I felt I wanted to have a drink. It was all I could do to stop thinking about having a drink. It wasn't the way to solve the wilderness, but it looked like it could solve it. Have a few drinks. Have one. Have a couple. Have three. I'd have the whole bottle. you feel a lot better. I did too. <laughs> That's all right. You learn to get out and grow and become a bit different. Don't tell me you haven't tried that either. But all sorts of things come out in the wilderness quite surprising. There you are on your own, doesn't feel like God's around, and suddenly this pressure's on you, and but bitterness comes up if it's in your heart. Offenses come up if they're in your heart. They all come out on display. Pride comes up if it's in your heart. Whatever's in your heart comes up in the wilderness. just shows itself. People see it. Critical, if you've got judgment in your heart, that'll always come up too. Critical attitudes, that'll, that'll all come up too. If you've got a victim mindset, that'll come up. You know what also gets dealt with in the wilderness? Soulish attachments. The things that we love that comfort us and we prop our life up with, well, those, they get shown up for what they are too. Sometimes God takes them away. Sometimes he calls you to repent and let them go. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to walk by faith. And so wilderness experiences help us deepen the quality of our relationship. Isn't that lovely? Fears come up in the wilderness. All your world's falling apart. You'd be surprised what depth of fear can be inside you surprised grips your belly and the, just there you are you love God and you're worshiping God and you've got the deep fear gripping your belly that you've got to face and overcome that's wilderness time and it's possible to overcome these things that's what they were for they were to grow the people not destroy them now notice here's the last thing the wilderness is tailor-made by God for you so no one has to prepare one for you God makes it for you and it's tailor-made for your enlargement and for your blessing. Notice God's plan. If you are in a wilderness now and you're walking through a wilderness, God's plan is to do you good. Because he's a good God and he doesn't mess up. He said, well, you don't know what I'm going through. No. Welcome to your wilderness. What's out the other side of it for you, though? For the joy ahead. You've got to keep thinking it's a faith walk. And so everyone, if you want to be a leader, great, welcome. You'll have a wilderness experience sometime. May have more than one.
And uh, you'll just want to give up, but you can't. In the wilderness, people do quit. People quit in the wilderness. I've watched over the years. I've seen many. Uh, I've seen pastors. I've seen leaders. I've seen congregation members quit God in the wilderness. And you watch their life. They had many reasons for quitting, many reasons for leaving. But in the end, I've watched their lives. What happens? It's not good because you are called to greatness. And when you fail and draw back from God, he says, my soul has no pleasure in him that draws back. You do open your life to all kinds of other problems. So escaping the pressure, the best way to escape is to run into God, never to run away from God. And he will always give you the option. So I think, God, I'll, run, I'll place my hands in the hand of the Lord. <laughs> okay, let's have a look there. In, jo- in Luke chapter 4, Then the Spirit, Jesus, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Oh, my God, the devil's in the wilderness. It's full of devils. Predators. Because that's what the wilderness was like. It's full of scorpions and snakes. Fortunately, God has given us authority over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall harm you. You don't have to be scared of it. So notice this. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command the stone become bread. And he said, man shall, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him up a high mountain. Ever thought how he did that one? That is a high-level spiritual encounter, transported from one place to another by the devil. Man, that would freak you out, wouldn't it? And the devil said, all this authority I'll give you in their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whom I want. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. Get behind me, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He give His angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands I bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He said, it been, he said, It's written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until a better opportunity presented itself. In other words, Jesus gave the devil a whipping. How did he do it? Was it with the anointing? Think about that. He used the word of God in his mouth, a sharp, two-edged sword. You've got to have the word. You can't just have experiences. You've got to be grounded in the word. Now, notice what the pressure, this, the pressure came on three areas. Now, when we go back to the, the uh, experience Jesus had, this is what God said to him. He got the touch of the Holy Ghost on him, got the anointing of the Holy Ghost on him. Then God spoke unto him these words. This is my beloved son. Or in other words, this is who you are. You are the son of God. That's who you are. You're the son of God. And not only that, I love you. I love you. You're precious to me. That's what he got from heaven. That was a revelation. Now, what does the devil say? Oh, oh, really? Son of God? Oh, if you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, you have to do something to establish it. Say, so who are you? Underneath all of that, who are you? Well, if we ask the question, who are you? Most people say something like this. I'm an accountant. No, no, I asked, who are you? Uh, Oh, this is my name. No, who are you? 
If you keep asking the question after a while, you find a lot of people say, actually, I don't really know. I don't really know. So notice the devil tempts him to put on a mask or to establish his identity, who he is, in three different ways. The first one, uh, notice what he says. He said, well, change these stones into bread. The first one is the performance uh, trap. I am what I do. Who are you? Well, I'm an accountant. Well, oh, I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. Well, what if you're not preaching? Who are you then? Oh, I don't know. See, preacher, that's what you do. You're not what you do. You are who you are. Who are you? Oh, I don't really know. Well, we need to find out who we are in Christ, or we'll define ourselves by what we do. So the world pressures you. Well, what have you done with your life? Oh, not very much. Conclusion? Well, you're not much of a person. You must be a failure. That trap traps many people. Well, you're not doing much. You can't be much then, can you? Can you? I mean, really. I mean, if you were something, you'd have done something with your life. Oh, what a mess you made of your life, really. What have you done? I haven't really done too much at all. And really, most of what you've done, you failed. And here you are, this age, and what have you done? Notice, it's attaching your identity to what you do. And when you attach identity to what you do, you'll become a driven man and you can't stop doing what you do. You can't give up what you do. Why? Because your whole identity is attached to it. And someone talks about or criticizes what you do, you will erupt and defend. Why? Because when they touch what you do, they touch who you are. Jesus rebuked it with the word of God. Second thing is, uh, is uh, possessions. I am what I have. So he said, look at this, look at this. I'll give it all to you. You can have it all. You can have it all. Little wee catch has got to bow down. It's not too much. You can have it all. Now, notice what his identity there is attached to possessions. Well, what kind of car you got? Oh, I see. An old Ford, eh? Oh, okay. What kind? Oh, a BMW. Oh. You must be something. Oh. An old heap. You must be nothing. Notice people do it. They attach value or identity to possessions. So what do you have? Oh, well, I have a lovely two-story house out in Havelock North with a pool and two cars, and one of them's a Jag. Oh, you must be special. And who are you? Oh, well, I live out at Flaxmere, and I have a small house, and we don't have a car. We have bikes. We get around on bikes. Oh. You got the idea? We had our season as pastors. We had no car. We had to buy bikes for the whole family. You a pastor? You don't seem to have much. No, no, we don't really, but we have one another and we love God. It doesn't really matter, does it? So, so we had to go through that wilderness. Didn't have a thing. Wonder how we're going to get by. But you know what? We found God in it. And it didn't matter. You can have it and you give it away. So I have no attachment really to things now. Have them and give them away. Just like that, give them away. Reason is because I'm not, I'm not defined by what I have. Not defined by what I do. See, this is what, when I, I remember when I was leading a, a movement of churches, and they, they said, you know, they couldn't get over why I'd resign off that and let it go. They could not understand it. I said, well, I'm not what I do. God called me to do that. Now he said, let it go. So let it go. It's no big deal. But for others, it was a big deal because the position was very important. 
you are defined by your position, title, or what you do, or what you have, you know, possessions, and lovely body, you know, what if it gets old and saggy? Oh, you don't have much, do you? Unfortunately, that's the route we're all going to take, you know? We need all the help we can get to make it look good. <laughs> but we're not defined by what we have. Okay, here's the next one. The devil tried to define him by popularity. Oh, I am what people say I am. I am what people think of me. That's not bad, isn't it? So you end up living to please people. What do you think? There used to be that Yes Minister and uh, program on TV, and he was, he was, his whole thing was defined by what are the people thinking. You can't worry about what people think. They're going to think what they think anyway. They think you're a, a nerd. Well, they're going to think you're a nerd, you know. So what? They have to think what they like. But you understand, if we define ourselves by what people think about us, it's a real problem because you can't be true to yourself and you can't be true to what God says. You can't be true to your destiny and you can't be true to the things God's put in your heart, the desires, dreams, gifts, passions. And the problem is when you become a Christian, suddenly there's almost all this pressure and expectation comes on. Now you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to be this, you have to be that. And it's like this huge pressure to conform. Where did it come from? It doesn't come from God. It's often a manifestation of what's already in your heart, the need to feel accepted or fit in in some kind of way, need to please people. We please people, we can't be the servant of God. And so the issue of identity uh, is a crucial one. That's what the devil pushes on. And wilderness testings test our attachment to things, what we own, to positions. They test our attachment to people. Basically, they, te they test where your identity is found, whether you are founded and grounded that even if I have nothing and have lost everything and I'm doing nothing and look like a failure and people think I'm hopeless, Nevertheless, I am who God says I am. Moses didn't look too good in the wilderness after he had a warrant out for his murdering someone, but he was a man of God. David didn't look too good in a cave hiding out with all these desperate men who were failures and losers. Nevertheless, he was a king. Jesus didn't look too good hanging out on the cross. He was the king of kings. There are times you don't look so good, but listen, they're followed by times when God does something really great. If you can respond right in that time, you're going to respond right. So notice that everyone had expectations on Jesus, just like they got expectations on you. Now here's the thing. Jesus never lived out of expectations of people or to please people. And so as a result, he upset everyone at some point. He upset his parents. He upset the people in his hometown. They got offended with him. He upset his disciples. Some didn't follow him anymore, and all of them ran away, and one betrayed him. He upset the religious leaders when he didn't do what, they supposed, what a rabbi is supposed to do. He upset the king when the king wanted to do miracles, he wouldn't do a miracle for him. He upset the people. He upset everyone at some point. But you know what? He lived true to who he was. And this whole politically correct thing is all about trying to please and look nice and make people happy and feel good. It's got nothing to do with being a godly man or woman. And you do that, you have to face times when you may not look good at all. Or you may find you're going through a stripping and you're like a tree in the middle of winter. Nevertheless, you have not changed. You are still who God says you are. You are still going where God says He's taking you if you keep hold of Him. 
It's a wonderful season. Great season to be in. So how to flunk your wilderness test. So <laughs> how to flunk it in some... You want five easy lessons on how to flunk a test. Here's, I'll give you them quickly because I want to get how you succeed. But I, I thought flunking. You might recognise the flunkers. Or you're perhaps sitting next to one. You know, never know. <laughs> anyway, here we go. You'll know as soon as I read them out. Let's just go into Numbers. Uh, go to Numbers chapter 6 to 14. Fortunately, the Bible tells how to flunk the test. And the Bible's full of examples of people who flunked. I like that. I, I love that about the Bible. It doesn't worry about whether you look good because almost all the great men of the Bible didn't look good at any time. At some point, they looked really, really, really bad. Like Abraham, the great man of faith, the father of our faith. And someone says, is that your wife? Ah, uh, no. It's my sister. Oh, really? Well, I might take her into my house then. Yeah, yeah, okay. It doesn't look good, does it? It isn't good, is it, either? But he's still called a man of faith. See, so God never worries about the fact we've got weaknesses, lacks, flaws, and difficulties, and shortcomings. See, trying to be perfect, it doesn't work. Just God gives us grace. And he gives us two things. One, he gives us grace, grace to grow, change, and be who we're called to be, but not grace to be what someone else wants you to be. If you try and be what someone else wants you to be, you'll be frustrated and burdened all your life. So crucial to discover who you are and fulfill it, what you're called to do in your destiny, and that you don't run to someone else's whistle. We listen to the Holy Ghost and live out our life as God calls us to, learning how to do that. Well, anyway, they flunked the test. Look at this. So chapter 14, Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. They wept all night. I've done that. And then all the children of Israel complained. I've done that. The whole congregation said, if only we'd died in the land of Egypt, we should have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord? Why, Lord? Have you brought us into this land to fall by the sword and our wives and children should be victims? Better to go back to Egypt. So I said, well, let's select a leader. We'll return to Egypt. Notice here's a number of things of people flunking the test. They're all the signs they're flunking. And uh, the first sign is weeping full of self-pity. Why me? We've all done that too. Have a pity party and you're the only one there. It's a grand party. Goes on, sometimes go on for days. Heaviness, depression, sad, poor me. And it's really bad. No one notices how bad it is for me. Why you won't notice? You don't care. All that kind of stuff. It's all part of it. And uh, complaining. So, of course, then, of course, the sign you're flunking is when you're complaining. Complaining is usually a statement of unbelief. That I don't believe God works all things together for my good. So I'll complain. So complaining is a big problem. Complaining. Negative talk, complaining. And who do they complain against? We've got to find someone to blame. So you find someone who's visible. You look like you're a leader. I'll complain about you. It's your fault. You brought us here. It was all your idea. Sat there in the back of the wilderness, dreamed up this whole idea to get us to where we are now. Look at the mess we're in. You. Look at what people do. You're flunking. Blaming others. So you've got to find someone to blame when you're going through a hard time. You're flunking. Flunk, flunk, flunk. Blaming is, 
When you blame someone else, you lose total power because someone else is holding the responsibility for your life. Don't blame anyone else. Just reach out to God and find out how to step up and what you can do to make the thing different. But blaming, you're flunking. Say, you'll have to repeat it again. Victim mindset. Notice that our children and our wives will be all victims. Actually, they had a total victim mentality. They live like slaves, and God wanted them to become mighty men of faith that could take a land. But to move from being slaves, thinking victim, thinking, blaming, mindsets of self-pity and angry and blaming this one, he had to shift that stuff out of them to get them, God is with us. We can do it. We'll take that land. We'll suit those giants. How do you get it out of you? Well, not by someone laying their hands on you. You've got to go through a bit of tough time. And you then choose, as you see what comes up, to respond to the Word of God. The Word of God. That's why you've got to be in the Word. Otherwise, you'll have very little substance. You'll live out of feelings. Oh, there it is. And then finally, they rebelled and left. Let's, let's get another leader. <laughs> we don't like this leader. We'll, we'll leave. And we'll go back to Egypt. Now, let's, putting it simply, what it means is people stop coming to church. They go down and have time in the pub instead. They're never happy down there either because actually they've been overthrown in the wilderness. So they're not happy there. They're full of offense and hurt. They've been overthrown in the wilderness. God would help them get up, but it requires repenting of the unbelief and letting go of the disappointment, all the stuff that got into the heart. And over the years, I've seen people get all kinds of things in their heart all kinds of perceptions, and they often got things wrong, they had partial information, they never really found out what was going on, they just assumed and judged all kinds of things, end up then out in the dark, in the cold, and angry and bitter, and still blaming someone else. And there it is, it's all there, flunk, flunk. And you say, how are you getting on to moving to your destiny? <laughs> Flunked, my bones are here, bleached in the sun in the wilderness. This is what happens. Then you want to feel better. So you've got to find some way to fill the pain. So you've got to fill it up with this, fill it up with that, fill it up with something else. Work, busyness, uh, buy some things, do this, do that, pleasure, all kinds of things. You've got to fill up the pain, but the, but the deal is you flunked. When the test God allowed you to go through to prepare you for your destiny, when it came, you didn't see it for what it was. And you just let your old nature, unbelief, rise up and flunked in the wilderness. Terrible thing to do, isn't it? But you know some people who did that. You haven't done that, but you, but you know people who did that, don't you? I don't want to do that. And I think, dear God, I've been close to it a few times. But however, I didn't. God's grace. God, so how do we get through? Here it is. We'll give you the simple keys how to get through the wilderness. My servant Caleb. <laughs> he had a different spirit to everyone else. He has wholly followed me. He believed my word. So anyway, just pick it up. It's 1 Corinthians 10. You'll find out. Here's the keys. I want you want to memorize this verse. There's no temptation overtaken you, which is not common to man. But God is faithful, and with that temptation will make a way of escape. You may be able to bear it. I know that verse. I've memorized that verse. That's a powerful verse. Here it is. Here's the simple keys out of that verse. Here's the first thing. One, other people have experienced it too. You're not the only one you know. Nothing, nothing new under the sun. Whatever you're facing, ah, someone else has gone through it, gone through it, is going to go through it. All stuff we face is common. Everyone goes through this kind of stuff. Second thing is God is faithful. He will never abandon you. He'll stand by in the midst of whatever you're going through. Here's the next thing. He says he will, he will make sure you're not tempted beyond what you're able. So here's one of the best things you get from that. He will make sure... Whatever happens to you is not beyond what you're able. You know what that means? 
you've got the capacity to come through winning. It's like he can measure just how much you get. He knows just how much it takes to shift you and no more. Now, when you're on the other side, when you're getting the stuff, ah, my life is falling apart, I'm a mess. No, it just knew how much to melt you till you opened your heart at a different level and leant on him. You notice the last thing he says here, make a way of escape that you can bear it. God will always provide an avenue to walk through it. He will provide strength and direction. Absolutely certain. He will give strength and direction. Huh? So here's a few things you could ask in the middle of your wilderness. You could ask, well, what is the actual struggle that I'm facing? What is the issue that I'm facing? What is it really that's going on that's causing me the trouble? What am I learning in this? What's being revealed about me or about God in the middle of it? What is it I need to let go of or change? Now, what word do I need to hold on and believe? Now, there's no shortcuts to becoming a man or woman or God. There's no Bible school you can go through that'll make you a man of God. There's no leadership course you can do that'll make you a man of God or necessarily a great leader. You have to go through God's wilderness times. See, we look at Ian. Ian is traveling the world now and been asked to conferences all over the world. And so how come someone from Hastings that no one's ever heard of is now speaking all over the world and in demand all over the world? Well, Ian had a long wilderness experience and he used it well. I want what he's got. Oh, well, welcome to the wilderness then. Just teach me, lay hands on me, tell me all you know. I can't. You have to learn this. Think of Lynn, who carries a tremendous anointing to heal and to touch people's lives. And he's all lay hands on me. I want your anointing. I want your anointing. Welcome to the wilderness. I know what she had to experience to carry what she carries. Some of it anyway. You see, people want things, but there is a way that God brings them to us. And, the, and God has ahead for you a land full of amazing promises, amazing blessings, amazing abundance. But will you qualify yourself by responding when God is touching hard attitudes? Will unbelief rise up or will faith and a right attitude? When the people of God face this problem in the wilderness, they complained, cried, sat down, complained, did all kinds of stuff. What This is what Caleb did. He said, listen, God's with us. He's going to help us. This is, these giants are bred for us. Don't repel. Don't quit. Don't resist. Stand up. God's best days are ahead for us. And that day when he said that, a line was drawn. Who will agree with that? Who will agree with the evil report? Two million people agreed with the evil report and perished in the wilderness. Two men stood strong in what God said. If God said he can do it, he can do it. And those men went in. Joshua Caleb, and all the generation under 30. What a great thing. God has great things ahead for us. He definitely has great things ahead. Not only for us, for his church. Globally, the best days of the church are ahead. But there'd be lots of reasons why you could stumble right at this time. There'd be lots of reasons to fall over, fail, or quit, or give up. But don't do it. Get your eyes fixed on the Lord. Get a hold of the Word of God. And in the midst of it, let God help you grow, and you will be prepared for the things he's about to pour out. I believe God will pour his spirit out in a great measure on the church. I believe we're coming to an hour of the saints' ministry. 
An hour when the church worldwide is going to break out and burst out and go in and possess the land and carry the supernatural. But if God was pouring out the supernatural, would you have the character and faith to carry it? That is the question, not whether God wants to give it. He's already said he's going to do it. The glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. And God spoke that at the very time a generation failed and two stood up and said, we're going to hold on to God and believe for it. I'm believing for great things in God. Great future, better future, bigger things, different things. It is a new day. It's a great new day. But oh my, I want to be ready. I want to be fully ready for it when it comes. I want to embrace all the things that God's doing and saying and get into his presence. In the middle of the wilderness is a place to know him. In Song of Solomon, in the last chapter, he said, who is this? coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on the arm of her beloved. Glorious bride that Jesus prepared. Where was she coming? A wilderness, a difficult time, difficult season. And what was she doing? She was in a place of faith, leaning, leaning into God. You know, maybe you've gone through your wilderness time and have failed and flunked. Don't worry. God saw that coming too. He said to Peter, Peter, you're going to flunk. No, I'll never flunk. I'll never flunk. You can trust me. Peter, you're going to flunk. He said, but it's okay. I've prayed that your faith won't fail. And after you've flunked and you get back up on your feet again, then you can strengthen others. Isn't that good? Hey, you can't miss. You can't lose. All you can do is lie down and not get up. But God wants you up. He wants all of us up. Come on, let's just stand right now, shall we?